I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome in. It's Miller and Condon. We're here on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, and with you for the next couple of hours. Coming to you live here this morning from Principal Park in downtown Des Moines, where the uh, homestand wraps up here this afternoon. 12.08 is first pitch. Uh, the New Orleans Baby Cakes, the opponent, the uh, AAA affiliate of the, uh, what are we now, the Miami Marlins, the Florida Marlins, I lose count. Lose <laughs> I count. Think I think it is, too. I can't tell you the ballpark. Uh, where it's what it's now called as it seemingly changes uh, its name every year. But uh, the baby cakes are in town, and we are here. We're in Suite 210 out in the left field skyboxes, and glad to be here. I think we were uh, started the homestand. We're going to put a, uh, a capper on this homestand today, 12.08 first pitch. So if you don't have any lunch plans, and it may be not the warmest day, but no rain, apparently. Uh, which we can't haven't been able to say a lot and won't be able to say a lot after I think we get through Wednesday. Lots to talk about, lots to recap. We'll do the weekend in sports, which turned out to be a pretty good one. Uh, after all, not a good one for KDSM. We'll get to that in a second, by no fault of their own, I might add. Uh, but we're coming up on the program, Scott Miller, who we missed on Friday, national baseball writer for Bleacher Report. He's covered the game for... Well, decades now, and, and Scott's going to join us. We will uh, t- talk about some of the, you know, the bigger stories, both positive and negative, for the first quarter of the season as we are now past the 25% mark uh, of games played by every team in MLB. Scott Miller at 1025. Matt Rudy from Golf Digest, uh, he'll join us at 1045. He spent some time at Beth Page over the weekend. Brooks Kepka wins another PGA. Now he'll have an opportunity to go for the U.S. Open for the third consecutive time. Back-to-back wins in the PGA for Brooks Kepka, the robotical Kepka, although he made it interesting, or maybe DJ uh, made it interesting. Uh, they both had a, sh- had a hand in it, but it turned out to be a pretty good golf tournament, at least late when it looked like it was going to be a laugher. Randy Wayhofer will join us, and then Scott Darkman wraps up the guest list today. Uh, Trent, I know you haven't read it yet, and I know you have it on your th- uh, list of things to get to, but boy, oh boy, Doc is so such a talented writer, uh, and in the long-form way he's now able to do what he does, uh, he's in a perfect space. There's no, only only have so many column inches, you're going to have to cut down that story. Mm-hmm. He gets to tell the story and, and, and does so in a fashion uh, that it deserves to be told. His, we, the story I'm referring to, if you haven't read it and you're a Hawkeye fan, go back into 1996 and 97 when the radio rights for the University of Iowa were about to undergo a significant change and the way you consumed Hawkeyes over the radio. If you grew up in the state, whether you were a Gonder fan, whether you're a Brooks fan, whether you're a Zobel fan, it was about to change. It is a 
fascinating piece. Who did you listen to? So growing up, it was never Zabel. I, I think I maybe have told you this before, but where we were, we could get WMT out of Cedar Rapids mm-hmm. or WHO uh, here in Des Moines. And then we also had some local people a little bit later on. Mason City, I know for a while, had some people that did the games. I think it was Tim Fleming was the name of the so guy. So this, was, this wasn't only a three-headed broadcast this was yeah. there were actually more yeah because you had wow. frosty mitchell that did i think out of grinnell you had a, a number of different entities but it was really the kind of the big three the big three that you mentioned there my grandpa was always a gonder guy he okay. didn't like zobel style he as my grandpa so eloquently always said i never know what the hell is going on <laughs> so we uh we were ron gonder that was the guy that we always listened to for hawkeye games growing up at least i did when I'd be with my grandpa or I'd hop in the car and tell my dad, hey, we got to listen to the Hawkeye game. That's the direction that we'd go. So, you know, the whole Zabel thing to me was when I moved to Des Moines, I guess I just never realized what a big oh, sta- the stature yes. that he had. No question. Just because of that, because it wasn't the guy that we listened to. So I don't remember hugging and kissing my radio. I, I don't remember those kind of calls and everything that went along with it. Do you remember when it changed and, and how it affected you? I mean, not... You know, not physically, obviously, mm-hmm. but were you disappointed when the change uh, was put in place? When Learfield brought the, bought the rights and the University of Iowa, instead of making 210000 a year, I think that was combined from the three stations, um, that they, the, 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 that was grand a piece, essentially, as I mm-hmm. believe what the, what the story said, that the big three paid to the university for the right to broadcast the games, and then they went into the millions. So do you remember when it became Gary Dolphin, were you disappointed? Was it disappointed at all? I didn't know who Gary Dolphin was, but... I just remember the hand ringing. I remember reading the newspaper articles about it and, and some of the frustrations from really all sides of it and the radio stations that went into it. Like I said, you know, in North Iowa, I know Mason City, at least for a time, had their own person, so I'm sure it also tapped into them and, and maybe their rights were different or at that time they didn't even have them anymore. I can't remember all the ins and outs for North Iowa and the way that it was set up, but it just made sense. I mean, you, you looked at it. And as they explained it at the time, it was a lot more money for the mm-hmm. university, a lot more money for the athletic department. It said, well, why wouldn't you do this? Right. And Iowa was, I think, the last holdout in the Big Ten to go this way. Were they? Yeah. A lot of a lot of schools had already uh, made that switch. And for whatever reason, Iowa, till the very end, uh, decided to keep doing it the way they've always doing it. And then the money just got too big uh, that they just couldn't t- turn it down. And then placating, Bob Bowlesby's the AD at the time, trying to make the Gonder supporters and the Brooks supporters mm-hmm. and the Zobel supporters. And those three men, to be perfectly honest yep. with you, feel like, you know, we're not pushing you out. We're not running you off. You don't get to call the games, but we've still got a role during the broadcast for all three. And they tried to do that, and they did that for a number of years before, you know, we are, um, you know, down to what we are today, which is, you know, Brooks Kidd doing, uh, well, he does the women's basketball, but he also is a sideline reporter. And, um, you know, the two color guys, whether it be Bobby Hansen, or Ed Podolak, they remained, but Gary Dolphin came in. So it was a fascinating piece. I'll be honest, Trent. It's uh, another, as I look back on my career, um, just so ill-prepared I was to do this when we went on the air in June of 1996, not growing up here in the state. You know, we took calls, I remember, but I never realized how big of a story we were missing mm-hmm. at the time. I just never did, right? Didn't grow up here. Neither of us did. So um, we didn't experience Hawkeye broadcasts and didn't have a favorite of the three uh, and, and yet another example of just, you know, 
if it would have been another time and there would have been competition, we would never would have got off the ground. You know, and the other p- part of this that kind of goes hand in hand and maybe why it took Iowa so long to change, at least in my mind, is Iowa was the first university to syndicate all their basketball games. And you remember here, what was it, KDSM, mm-hmm. that had all the games. Yep. Larry Morgan and Mac McCausland. It was KWWL up in, in Waterloo had it, and then KIMT in, in Mason City for me growing up. And it was such a huge deal. I remember reading, I think it was Lou Olson's book, and he was talking about as they were putting that together late 70s, early 80s, not only were they the first to do it, the numbers that they got, at one point they were getting between a 75 and 80 share. Mm, jeez. Regular season basketball games. Wow. Well, you had three options. Right, TV, yeah, and that's true. Uh, here it is. Here's sports, and it's something local. Bygone era, Trent yes, Condon. absolutely. And just how big it was, and maybe because of that, that was also led to the radio site also being a little bit slower to adapt and change because the way they did it for a long time was very successful, and they were successful in Indiana then very quickly after they saw the success that Iowa had. I remember they were one of the first next college programs mm. to do the same kind of thing and have all their games on television. So it's just interesting, you know, the, the dichotomy between the two. I told you that's the reason I became a sports fan. It wasn't really anything other than Iowa basketball because in the wintertime, that was it. There was no satellite dish. Mm-mm. There was no cable. It was here's there your was no channels. rinks to go pick your stick in <laughs> no. your skates and go you know play a little hockey or shoot no. the puck at the boards or whatever like it was when I was a kid. Had none of that. It was you want to watch sports during the week. This is all that you get. Wow. This is it. And so it was Iowa basketball on Thursday nights back there in the eighties and and going on their Big Ten travel partners. All right, you're going to Michigan and Michigan State this week. Thursday, Saturday, and that's really how I became a sports fan. But, yeah, the radio rights and the – I mean, I still think it would be really cool to live in that environment where, you know what, we're going to put whoever on the game and we're going to do our own broadcast. Well, it was like the state tournament in a lot of ways. Yes, yeah, yeah. Not competing, but all the, you know, small-town stations Mm -hmm. do uh, do the high school events. Uh, downtown, especially when they're over at the vet, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the signage one after another, the the station's logo and uh, frequency. It's just it's 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 a different era. It was really good. Look at if you're a Hawkeye fan and you haven't spent the two ninety nine a month or whatever, it is, it's more than just Hawks. It's every single sport. And there's so many tentacles in this story, and I want to spoil it all because I want to save some obviously for eleven thirty five. We have Doc. The fact that Dolphin, one of his first. I guess, tasks that he was given after he got the job, which in and of itself is a terrific part of the piece. He was tasked with going around to all the affiliates because there were a number of affiliates who weren't happy with the switch. Mm-hmm. And you know what they were, you know what their threat was going to be? I don't know if it was a threat per se. I think that there was probably, eh, maybe it was at the time because Iowa State football was god awful. Oh, yeah. It yes. really was. Yeah, yeah. And apparently the threat was, well, we're going to become an Iowa State affiliate. Mm. And it was up to Gary Dolphin to smooth over some of these hurt feelings, if you will. And he went his first. I guess some of his first duties before he actually, you know, spoke into a microphone. We spent the summer going around uh, the state of Iowa to the affiliates that seemingly were teetering a little bit and trying to save those agreements and save it in place. So, uh, great piece, great piece. Uh, Scott Dockerman coming up at eleven thirty-five. Highly recommend taking the time to read it. This will probably be a question for John Walters, and I don't know if he'll know the answer himself. Iowa State at that time already a Learfield, you know, great property. question. Good question. I would guess if most everybody else had done it, maybe Iowa State was there. But before they became a Learfield property, if they had the same thing, where mm. Des Moines did have somebody, 
small towns around. You know, I gotta think that that's the case. Yes, here comes the Fort Dodge Station. Yeah. They're going to do the game. Here right. comes Sioux City. Whatever it may be, and they had the same kind mm-hmm. of thing. So. Next time we get John on, we'll have to ask him and, and kind of dig a little bit deeper on the cycle. Or Dave Sproul from our, yeah, our, yeah. our sister station in Ames. Uh, K-A-S-I, I want to say, and I hope I got it right. 1430. 1430, indeed. Uh, great point, though, Trent. Never thought about that angle of it, and uh, bears looking into. All right, let's uh, recap the weekend. I don't know where you want to start. The basketball Yesterday was good. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed Yesterday it. was good. I, I'll give them that. Uh, can't say the same about out west. Portland just... Um, they're just outgunned, you know. And I've been—we talked about it a number of times last week. I, I've, I've been surprised how many national media that follow this game for a living—that that's their vocation, right? They're NBA writers, and they all think that this is the Bucks' year, Milwaukee's year, and they might win the East. I mean, they're clearly the favorite two right now. Sure. But my good God, how are you going to stop this juggernaut from from uh, Golden State? I mean, seriously, what am I missing here? Look. Giannis is unbelievable. He really is. But look at that roster that Golden State runs out on a nightly basis. And now they're getting production out of the bench. and, and deeper Big time production out outside of the Outside of just Livingston, when that's about it. I mean, Looney, we've talked about him a yeah. little bit and yep. how well he's been playing. Quinn. Quinn yeah, Quinn's yep. hitting some shots. It just, this team is so much more entertaining, too, without Kevin Durant. I think they are. You know, I'm not going to say I'm... Rooting for them, yeah, but mm-hmm. it's they're they're a little easier to yes. embrace, right? Because they were built, quote unquote, the right way. They mm-hmm. did it through drafting. They did it through shrewd free agency. They didn't just go out and take a seventy-three win team and then add the best player or one of the best players in the league, like they did afterwards. And that's why this team has always bothered me. That's why Durant's always bothered me. I, one of the reasons is because of that. It just it never felt right. It never felt good for the game. And to your point about the national media. You know, after the Durant injury and people speculating, you know, if, if it's longer, well, this team can't win the title without him. And I, I just, I continually, I was shaking my, as, okay, I don't watch the game. I don't watch the 82 throughout the season. But You and I are like. Those narratives that were out there, and they were, I mean, from people that I really respect mm-hmm. in the NBA, from Stephen A. Smith to Charles Barkley to Bill Simmons, I'm big NBA people saying, without Durant, they can't win the no. title. And I'm just. What am I missing here? I'm well, with you. Now we've seen they're just fine without him. Now Milwaukee is going to be a different kind of team if that's who they play in the finals and if Durant isn't available for them. I think it'll be a good series, but to say that they're not the favorite or that they shouldn't be the favorite without Durant. Durant, I would step up to the window with utmost confidence. Well, And I told you as much when that injury happened. I bet it, it was down to minus 165. That was before the series began. I said, feels like stealing money. Yeah, it really does, and it certainly looks like it's uh, uh, that's going to be the case. Well, we'll see. they still got some work to do. they got a chance to wrap up the uh, the West tonight. Uh, game 4, it's an 8 o'clock tip tonight uh, in Portland as they try to extend it. And um, I, I just I don't, I don't like their chances. I yeah. don't. So we're rooting for the, uh, the East to at least give us a little bit of drama. Uh, the Stanley Cup is going to be set, I believe, after tomorrow game. Six back in St. Louis of the Western Conference. Boston awaits the winner. It doesn't start until Memorial Day Monday night. Oh. Uh, will be the first game in that one, so there'll be no hockey if it does end tomorrow night. And it looks like it's going to. The Sharks are really banged up, and the Blues are playing really good hockey right now. That's one of the more remarkable stories. It's too bad in one way it's hockey, because this market, um, look, they embrace the wild, mm-hmm. and there's no doubt in my mind that hockey is growing here uh, slower than I would like and slower than a lot of people would like, uh, to be honest with them. Um, but this St. Louis team, I mean, they were, they were, there's 31 teams in the NHL. They had the 31st. Worst record <laughs> um, on January the 2nd. 
I mean, we're talking 2019. This was team 31. So this would be like the Baltimore Orioles? This is the Baltimore Orioles. Well said. This, well, maybe not that bad, because they're historically bad. Right, right. And I'm hockey... bring that up with Scott Miller, too. Where are the Orioles? Where, where, are they, where are they trending to right now? Perhaps one of the worst teams of all time. And they got off to a decent start for them. So did Seattle, by the way. Yes. What has happened there? Whew. They can mash. They hit some homers again yesterday, but uh, that Seattle team, outside of the power, not a whole lot there. No. And uh, we could get into that with Scott Miller. My Twinkies. Yeah, they're playing good. well. Take three or four. Yeah. Uh, if they were one game better... They would be playing 750 baseball. Think about that. Wow, your twins, 750 baseball. But you know, back to the back, back to the Blues. Just to wrap it up, just remarkable. I mean, they are the best team in the West, uh, and are going to play for an opportunity to have a parade in downtown St. Louis. Um, they come home, they're up three two, and just too many injuries on the Sharks team, who've got a ton of breaks, admittedly, as they've made their way through the playoffs. But St. Louis is going to play for a cup, and it will start on Monday, and will do so in Bean Towns, Boston. Regardless of whoever wins the West, the Stanley Cup begins Monday uh, in Boston. All right, so the golf yesterday, mm-hmm. it was, you know, as boring of a major. And it had more to do with this Tiger not being a part of it, right? Because, yeah. look, Tiger hasn't been a part of major championships for for a long time. And, and still, the numbers, although nowhere near Tiger-esque, people were watching golf and watching majors. Trent, this was a ratings disaster. There was no drama, no intrigue, until uh, the 11th hole yesterday when Kepka bogeyed four straight holes. Meanwhile... Uh, Dustin Johnson is heating up and he's starting to make some birdies. And this was a one shot differential at one point. I mean, it, there was a point, was it, uh, Kepka was nine under and DJ was, got to eight, eight under yes, yep. before he would make back to back bogeys on 16 and 17 and essentially, um, you know, pave the way for Kepka to do it again. But at least there was a little bit of drama, and maybe I'm just you know, grasping at straws trying to find something good about this tournament because it was it was boring. It was terrible. It, it was about the worst thing that the PGA and their move to May, trying to get that calendar changed. I still think it's the right idea, by the way. I, I'm right there with you, but it didn't work, and it didn't work because the tournament was boring. Yeah. It was over almost from the gun. Mm-hmm. You look at the rest of the tournament, the rest of the field outside of those two guys, this is kind of what we anticipated for Beth. Played well, Trent on, Cla- on Claxons a Friday went on the Claxons giveaway. One of our questions. And normally, you'd never take one player against the field. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was you know too easy of a question. I was surprised more of our contestants took the field. But but this was before we put a tee in the ground on Friday afternoon. We said Brooks Kepka, everybody else, mm-hmm. and that's essentially what it was until you know for about a half an hour, maybe an hour, uh, yesterday afternoon. So. What does this mean now for Brooks Kepka? I mean, he is still boring. I we, saw, we saw more personality though this week. Yeah, maybe. I mean, talk about focus. Is 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 uh, girlfriend, fiance? I don't know. I mean, he just uh, brushed her off. He yeah. didn't even know she was there walking beside him as they made their way to the clubhouse from the parking lot. I assume uh, prior to the round, and she wanted to give him a good luck kiss, and she he didn't even know she was there. Um, he <laughs> I was love just that. completely focused on on the task at hand. Trenty's. He's a machine, is mm-hmm. what he is. I mean, he's not the most personable guy. Nope. Um, but good God, he is so much better than everybody else right now. He is. And with his game, the way that majors are set up, you wonder how long this can last. Not Tiger level. Tiger no, 02 no, level. No, I don't think so either. But, man, look what he's done. 
the depth of the game is different. I think yes. that's going to make it certainly much more Absolutely. difficult for him. But the way that he plays, because of that robotic personality that he has, mm-hmm. if there is a guy to do this, and we know there are plenty of pratfalls that are out there for players, and we've seen this so many times throughout history in in golf, that I'm just left wondering, you know, what more can there be? Can three out of five majors now for him? Yep. He is a four to one favorite to win the U.S. Open. Bet with confidence. <laughs> four to one. I, this isn't. This is golf. I know. It you don't be, bet guys no, at four to one, especially if their name's not Tiger Woods. You don't bet them four to one going into a final round. I, I'm with you, Trent. I, I'm 100 percent with you. Look, this has always been my knock against Jack Nicklaus, right? And you just said it. Um, look, I'm, I'm not. I'm not disputing his place in the game, but I think even he would say that he he had it pretty good because he essentially the only foreigner on the tour was Gary Player. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least to begin with, right, before mm-hmm. they all started coming over. And now it's such a world game. There was guys on the leaderboard yesterday. I mean, thankfully, Jazz, you can pronounce his first name. I have no idea how to say his last no, name. No, me neither. And nor will I try. But just look at the leaderboard and the international flavor that is now a part of this. Um and you would think that that would prevent Kepka from going on these runs. But, my God, he's just unstoppable. I mean, he hit, he drives the fall, bar fall, uh, further than DJ does. Yes. Think about that. Which is nearly impossible to do. It's uh, it's next to impossible. You're yet, a DJ fan. Uh, yeah. Be, because just, of the hockey connection with well, Gretzky's, married to Gretzky's daughter. daughter yeah. yeah, I know it's a guy that, boy, there's just times where I watch him and the immense talent that mm-hmm. he has. Mm-hmm. And I just, you just want to shake him and say, put it together. No, I'm with you. Look, at in this break, yesterday maybe gets unfair. it to one. I know, he did. Bogey, bogey. He's just, he's unflappable. He's not the most personal guy. There was a time that, you know, I, that I wasn't sure he could spell cat if you spawned him the C and the A. <laughs> um, but, you know, so what, right? Yeah. yeah. So what? You're, I don't care. Just just go out there and, and do what you do. He's entertaining. Just hits the ball so darn far. I'm glad he got his major. But Kepka was unbeatable. How about the guy I played with yesterday? Yes, that was my other takeaway. Varner the Harold third. Harold Varner. Harold Varner the third. I believe he's born in North Carolina, as the telecast said yesterday. Trent, he shot an 81. You'd be hard-pressed to find a guy in the last group in not weather-related conditions, mm-hmm. right? Not weather-related conditions. Remember Tiger's? Was the British Open when the wind blew and everybody was up into the 80s? These were good. It was, it was not ideal, but you had guys that were shooting under par yesterday, so it could be done is my point. Varner shot 81 from the final pairing of the, of the tournament. It was watching him, and you could see the crowd whenever, and it was very rare towards oh. the end, that they'd show one of his shots, but just rooting for him, trying to get him to, you know, that putt on 18 that they showed. Yes, you could just to tell, make it. Yeah. get that in yeah. there. He was a guy, though, that I think he did everything right from what I saw. He was getting out of the way. He mm-hmm. knew he wasn't playing right. well, but he didn't want to screw it up for Brooks Kepka. Mm-hmm. You do wonder if Well, that... he did that one hole. Remember, he lost a ball. You know how hard yeah. it is to lose a ball on the tour, especially the major, <laughs> right. when there's a gazillion people on the golf course and Marshall seemingly every 100, 100 feet? He uh, he was a guy that I, I was rooting for, definitely. <laughs> and and I love looking at these scorecards. I tell you, one of my favorite things every major is to go through and look at the last guy and look at his scorecard just because, hey, that looks like one of mine. Now, this would be one of my good ones if I get an 81. Probably have to be playing at about a par 32 to get that to happen. But 40-41, hey, boy. Or 14 holes. <laughs> right, 14 holes. That's the way to do it. And uh, one other big takeaway. i got to find it here. Did you see my retweet from Saturday? I probably did. I don't remember which one it was. It was out in the woods. 
Uh-huh. Oh, the guy, yeah, was uh, was it Beef that was uh, relieving himself? John Rahm. <laughs> John Rahm, is that who it was? Yeah. Going to take a leak. So was this part of the CBS coverage? I, I, it had to be, they, right? And they didn't see it? I mean, how does a producer... Not cut away. Sitting in the trailer, not realize what he's what he's broadcasting. Now, thankfully, his back was turned to him. Yes, right. Or turned to the cam, turned away from the camera. So FCC violations. Yeah, but we clearly knew it was gone. I did see that. All right, we got to get a timeout. Scott Miller, Bleacher Report. We'll get into the baseball. I want to do the Preakness later on. Go okay. for that horse for winning. By the way, uh, he deserves it. This is the one that almost hit the deck at the top of the stretch of the Derby. He's a gutsy little horse. Very athletic for him to stay up in the Derby and avoid the catastrophe like he did. He was rewarded with a Preakness victory. We'll do a little bit of that later. We're here till noon. Where are we? We're at Principal Park. Teams are on the field. Batting practice is just wrapped up. Uh, New Orleans and Iowa will finish out the homestand today. It's a 12 08 first pitch. We're Miller and Condon. We're on Des Moines Sports Dish. Before we do that, I got to let Andrew Downs know I'm about to throw it to you, AD. It's time to give away, make somebody some money if we possibly can. EKG Golf and KXNO final week of this contest folks let's have another kxno winner before we wrap things up ad take it away time to go for the green with 1460 kxno and ekg golf text the keyword hockey to 200 200 keyword hockey to 200 200 standard standard message waiting restaurants des moines sports station i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 1460 KXNO. Welcome back, Miller and Condon. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Trent and I are live at Principal Park today. The iCubs wrap up the homestand day baseball, 12-08. For those of you who work downtown, well, heck, you don't have to work downtown to uh, get away from the office for an extended lunch. Some come see a little baseball before the team heads on the road for an extended road trip. New Orleans, the Marlins AAA Farm Club, and Iowa wrapping up the homestand. First pitch today is at 12.08. Let's talk baseball. Scott Miller uh, joins us from Bleacher Report. We're grateful when we get an opportunity to have Scott on. Uh, and he joins us. Scott Trenton, Ken in Des Moines. Thanks for coming on, Scott Miller. How are you? Hey, Trent. Hey, Ken. Real good. How are you? You uh, sounds like a pretty good assignment there in the day baseball today. Yeah, well, these uh, this pretty good to view from the office, if you will. We're in the <laughs> skybox is out in left field. It's a it's a terrific vantage point. Hey, Scott, we may have our first manager walk the plank prior to Memorial Day. It sure seems like Mickey Calloway, uh, his seat is is red hot. I know that they've kind of thrown a little bit of cold water on it, saying it's not going to happen today. Mets get swept by the Marlins. May we see a manager lose his gig prior to Memorial Day? Yeah, there's a chance. I mean, they've reached a point where uh, it's DEFCON 1 and New York uh, in Queens. I mean, the Mets, you know, they thought they were going to be competitive this year, and, and they're right at that point of the season. They're five games under 500, 20 and 25, uh, six and a half games behind Philadelphia, right at the point of the season where it's not lost yet. They're, as I said, just six and a half games back. But, um, you know, if they don't get this thing turned around pretty soon, it, it's it's going to be lost. And, it doesn't get much uglier than being swept by the Miami Marlins. And, 
you know, you look at not just losses, but how they're losing. And in the Mets, they were shut out the last two days in a row. They didn't even score a run Saturday or Sunday. Robinson Cano, a veteran who ought to know better, uh, you know, was guilty twice in three days of not running a ball out, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friday was ugly. It was, it was a double play ground ball, and he clearly thought there were two outs and not one out, uh, you know, when he didn't beat it, bust it down to first. And yesterday was a little more weird. Uh, you know, it was a, a ball that, that he fouled off. He thought he fouled off and it bounced foul. It, it hit foul, but then ro- the spin of the ball carried it back into fair territory. But either way, Bottom line is, you know, I mean, Cano is a veteran that's got to be helping to set the tone for that team. And when you're not scoring in two days and you're not running balls out, um, you know, they just, they look lethargic. They look sloppy. And, you know, it's a new general manager, too. Remember, he he was an agent, Brody Van Wagen, and it was a controversial hire. So he's under a heavy spotlight right now as well. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But, yeah. Uh, Mickey Callaway could be a goner very soon. Speaking of that division, seeing the Nationals last night in their spotlight on Sunday night baseball, a team that's been really banged up, but Scherzer certainly doesn't look like himself, not the guy that we have anticipated seeing the last four, five, six years. That lineup, Trey Turner's back into it, Rendon back healthy. But overall, this Nationals squad, after losing Bryce Harper, if things continue to go awry, A, could uh, maybe a little bit of trouble there with Martinez and B. Could this be a team that looks to sell off some pieces going into the trade deadline if they continue to fledgle under under five hundred? Yeah, they may not have any choice but to sell off some pieces. That, that that the Nationals right now are maybe as big a mystery as there is in the game. That bullpen is I cannot emphasize enough. Horrific! It is embarrassing bullpen and you're right Scherzer isn't the Cy Young Scherzer that he's been in the past but he's been pitching well enough to win and, and him and Strasburg and, and they they laid out big money for Patrick Corbin who starts today in uh in New York against the Mets you know Corbin's four and one 291 ERA I mean he's doing what they pay you know what they they signed him to do um the Nationals, there's no way that they should be sitting here eight games under 500. But, yeah, it is a combination of things. I mean, it, the, the bullpen is just – you cannot describe how bad it is right now. And, and there's not really much hope for improvement with the guys they have. Um, so they're letting games get away late. And, you know, or if it's a close game, the bullpen's giving it up and not giving the Nationals a chance to come back and win with guys like Red Doan and – and well, as you said, Turner's been out, but he's back now. Um, so it's not it, to me. It's got very little to do with them losing Bryce Harper. It's it's all about the the relief core. Um, also, Davey Martinez. Uh, you know, it's been pretty clear he's been in over his head as manager. Mm-hmm. I mean, they. Yep. You know, I mean, he's not a good manager. He's a nice guy. He's popular among baseball people. He's a good coach on a staff, but he's not a manager. Um, the problem the Nationals have is is under that ownership, you know, it's kind of like the old Yankees, George Steinbrenner, you know, the the Lerner family. It's kind of like Steinbrenner on train wheels in terms of you know gassing the manager every two or three years. Um, they've they've chewed through so many managers, um, 
you know, they, I don't think any managers lasted a full three seasons under the Leonard family. And so that's a problem. Now Martinez is in his second year. They're probably going to have to fire him, but it, it comes down to who would even want to take that job. Mm. Yeah, interesting point. Uh, Scott Miller, longtime baseball writer, joining us here. Miller and Condon live at Principal Park. First pitch uh, today is 12.08. Scott, last night during the broadcast, Trent alluded to, I'm not sure which one it was, maybe Buster, maybe A-Rod, said that the Chicago Cubs are looking uh, as close to the 2016 Cubs as they've seen in some time. Not saying that they're going to win another World Series, but do you see the same thing? Are the Cubs starting to look like the those 2016 championship team? Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. And, and, and gee, amazing how you can say that in a season in which Chris Bryan has started to hit again, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> You know, last year, Chris Bryant hurt that shoulder in May, and he was playing on basically with one shoulder, and he couldn't drive the ball. His power was sapped. That is a uh, – we're talking about former MVP a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. You cannot take him out of the lineup. I know you've still got big big shooter names like Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber, but you can't remove Bryant – his power from that lineup and still expect things to go go on without a hitch. And that's where they were last year. And, you know, Brian, obviously the last two weeks, uh, he's really come on. And, and, and as a result, the, the Cubs look really good. So, you know, um, long season to go. Darvish pitches today. That always gives uh, uh, Cubs fans, uh, makes them hold their breath, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what they're pitching. Um, you know, they're not out of the woods, put it that way. The Brewers are a game and a half back. Um, there's a lot to like about the Cubs right now, though. I, I, I think that. Uh, you know, we'll also see, you know, Baez uh, left last night's game with that, mm-hmm. turned his ankle or whatever. And, you know, we haven't heard any reports, to my knowledge at least, on him yet today. I guess we'll probably hear something later on today. And, you know, so that's another area to cross your fingers that he's, that it's something real minor. But, um, yeah, a lot to like about the Cubs right now. Well, a lot to like also for my squad, the Minnesota Twins. Scott, a team I know that you covered yep. for uh, many, many years. And with it, I don't think you ever seen the kind of power that this lineup has with those Twins teams back in the 90s. No, no, we sure didn't back then. Um, in fact, I'll see the Twins. They're from Seattle. They drop down south to Anaheim. And, uh, I'll see them probably tomorrow night up in Anaheim. And nice. Looking forward to that because they've got a very uh, – as you said, they've got a very, you know, very good team. You know, I mean, from Polanco, the leadoff spot is is just having a fantastic year. Four for five yesterday, three forty three batting average. Um, you know, they, they send Nelson Cruz. He, he's out right now, but uh, you know that was a good sign. Jonathan Scope. Um, yeah, they're really hitting the cover off the ball. What they scored the other night, seventeen runs, I think it was yeah. up in Seattle. Um, so yeah, that, there's there's uh, they're doing well, and it's an interesting time. I think it's a key time in that division right now. Just like we started the conversation by saying with the Mets that that you know the season is not lost, but if they don't turn things around or make some moves, it could be soon. It's also pivotal time in the American League Central. You know, Cleveland got that great pitch game from uh, Shane Bieber yesterday, and with the Twins' loss. They gained a game, but but you know, Twins are up to. They have a four and a half game lead over Cleveland right now. 
the, the issue there for the Indians is, um, you know, their ace, Corey Kluber, took that line drive off the forearm a couple, excuse me, a couple weeks ago, and he's out for an extended period of time, and they're also without Mike Clevenger, who's going to be coming back before too much longer. But where the Indians are concerned, you know, they're, they're not, their offense isn't great. They're built around pitching, and their pitching's really banged up right now. So the, the, that's why I say it's a key time right now. Cleveland is four and a half back. Twins are playing really well. Cleveland needs to keep them within sights at least until they get Clevenger back and then later this season, Kluber. And I don't know if they'll be able to do that or not from the Twins' perspective. As long as they keep winning, they could really, you know, over the next few weeks open up a big gap in that division. And then, you know, and then if that's the case, Cleveland could have turned into sellers in July. Interesting. Scott, we have 30 seconds uh, left. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, you, you have to buy stock in one of these two, and it's a long-term play. You want Fernando Tatis Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You have to buy stock in one of those two. Who are you buying? Yeah, I'm going to take Tatis Jr. I'll tell you why. You can't lose with either one of those, and obviously Vladdy Jr.'s hit four homers now in, what, like six games, and he's really starting to heat up. The reason I like Tatis Jr., um, I like the body better. You know, mm-hmm. T- Vladdy, uh, I think he's going to battle some weight issues. I hope he, yep. he wins it because he's so exciting. Man, Tatis, I don't know how much you guys have seen him. He's six foot four. He looks like he could play in the NBA. His body is fabulous. Um, and, and that's key because he's a shortstop. He's a legit five to a player. I mean, he, he, he's, his bat is terrific. He's got power. He can mm-hmm. hit for average. But even if he's not hitting, if you watch him at shortstop, he makes a terrific play or two almost every night. He also can run. You know, right now he's only 20. He's got speed. He can run the bases. So that's why I think Tatis, you know, he can do all sorts of things on the field. So I don't think you could go wrong with either one. But, um, yeah, Tatis, by the way, pulled hamstring. The Padres are hoping to get him back this weekend when they go up to Toronto. Um but, yeah, for those that haven't seen much of him, keep your eye on him because he is a fun dude to watch. I did not realize he was six foot four. I had no yeah. idea. That's great info. Yeah. Listen, Scott, always uh, love talking to you. Seemingly learn something every time. Today was Fernando Tatis. He's a terrific player, no yeah. doubt about it. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Look forward to catching up with you again. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Scott Miller, Bleacher Report. Uh, it's a coin flip for me, and I, that's is. a fair point because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is looking a lot kind of like he could be trending toward Prince Fielder yeah. size-wise. You know what I mean? Boy, he hits the ball a ton. He hits the ball a ton, Guerrero does. Anyways, we will take a timeout. Matt Rudy, Golf Digest next. Miller and Condon live at Principal Park. First pitch, 12.08 as they wrap up the homestand today. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 14.60. You get your podcast. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, live at Principal Park. First pitch is uh, 12.08. Batting practice is come and gone. Now they're working the infield, getting the dirt all perfect for a 12.08 first pitch. It's a little overcast, but no rain in the forecast at least for a couple of days, and then it's back and seemingly going to just park itself over Des Moines all Memorial Day weekend. Let's recap the PGA. The second major has come and gone. Matt Rudy, Golf Digest. Follow him on Twitter, at Rudy Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R. He joins us. Matt, Trenton, Ken, thanks for coming on. How are you, Matt Rudy? 
You know what? I'm doing okay. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Appreciate it. Boy, that was um, really four days without very much drama. And then we kind of got a tiny little bit right at the end uh, when it became a one-shot lead as Kepka's bogeying, what, four straight holes and DJ's making a little bit of a run before he bogeyed 16 and 17. At least for a few minutes, we thought we might get something there. Uh, not the most uh, drama-filled four days of golf, Matt. <laughs> like he dangled, he was dangling it a little bit in front of people, and he snatched Seemingly. it away again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I was joking about that. That's one of my friends in the, in the media center as we were walking back after seeing the end. And, and I, one of the big advantages to building a seven-shot lead is it gives you uh, a little more room to make some mistakes coming on the stretch, and that's what happened. You know, he played dom, you know, Kepka played dominant golf for two and a half rounds, and ran into the stretch that really everybody in the field ran into at some point during the week. It just came at kind of a bad time, but he had enough of a cushion to take care of it. And, and, and really what it did too, if you want to be one of the all time great, you have to experience different things in the course of winning majors. You know, you got to come from behind, you got to deal with some adversity. You got to try to put it back together again when it's breaking down on the golf course. And that's really what he did. You know, he played, you know, bogeyed four holes in a row and all of a sudden was, you know, in the pressure cooker when it had been kind of a parade lap and he got mm-hmm. up there and he just hit one 348 yards right down the middle and, and, and brought it home and even made the putt on 18. So I bet you he, he would say he didn't want it to be quite as dramatic as it was, but he learned a few things about himself. And uh, there, there's no question that we're looking at the number one player in the world now. Right. He has taken it to another level. Heard some comments from him, some interviews going into Sunday. A little more confidence. Uh, We talk about him being so robotic and just not having a whole lot of personality. Are we going to see more from Brooks Koepka? Are we going to see a little bit more that perhaps will make him a little bit more endearing to the casual, everyday golf fan? You know, I, I don't think he's so different. I just think he's talking more, whether that's because he's more comfortable in his position. Uh, I'm sure the, the representatives he has around him and the, and the brand that he's representing. I mean, when you become the number one player in the world and you're the guy winning all these majors and your profile goes up, there's lots of people that have a stake in that. Who, you know, they probably whisper in your ear and say, hey, you know, at least you know, speak up a little bit more. Uh, I also think there's a difference between being, you know, 29 and a, the number one player in the world and a four-time major winner than you know being one of the guys in the cast of characters one notch below where you're trying to reach that height so the the platform he has is a little broader and you know i've spent a lot of time around him and a lot of time around claude Harmon, coach you know doing Mm -hmm. stuff for golf digest over the last five years and the guy you're seeing is the guy that you know that that's him You're, you're just getting to see it a little bit more and i think it's great i think it's great for golf to have kind of an alpha player that everybody wants to chase and and we're in a good time period now with lots of players from their mid 20s to their early 40s all you know wanting to take a crack what what could be better than tiger winning the masters and then having a you know the young guy who finished second in the, at the masters he'll be the one to win the next one it sets up a pretty exciting summer uh, Harold Varner the uh, third—that's an all-timer, Matt. Uh, you don't see too many guys, and I want to pick your brain on this one because we've seen some—you know—guys in a final group who are right there on the in contention on the leaderboard going into the final round. 
implode, but it's normally the British Open when it's raining sideways and the wind's 45 miles an hour and it's changing direction seemingly every hole. Conditions were far from ideal yesterday, but there were some good scores out there. What happened to Varner? That 81, one of the uh, biggest collapses maybe for a guy in a final group in the majors in a long, long time. Well, I don't know if it's a collapse because realistically, you know, he was he was seven shots behind, so it wasn't as though he was a shot or two back. Fair um, point. And he did birdie the and he did birdie the first hole. I mean, that, that, I think what every young player has to learn is what that arena feels like, and 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 that was the first time he'd ever stepped foot in that kind of arena. And and to to be honest, that's a pretty hostile arena to step into. You know, the, the crowd is pretty loud out on, on Long Island. And the crowds are huge, and and that's a big, long, daunting, hard walk. It's a hard golf course, and and you know if you haven't been in that experience before, and felt what that's like, the the bad shots can snowball, and that's what happened. He hit one, you know, he hit one in the rough, and then he hooked one into the trees, and and then it just was downhill from there. And it's it's something I've seen players go through plenty of times you know all the way back to Retief Goosen being paired with Tiger Woods at the Masters and you know they're they're paired together and Retief hit his first shot almost hit me in the head I was I was 150 <laughs> yards down on the left side of the fairway and decapitated me on the first hole and it shows you what a powerful piece uh, you know, that confidence is you know where where when you're Tiger you know you've won 10 of these you know you can do it and you're playing with guys that have never done it that's a pretty big, pretty big advantage to have in the bag right there on the first tee. Matt, we talked about the change in schedule, moving the PGA up to May. In the long term, I think it'll be a good thing. But in the short term, the way this uh, this tournament played out, how bad was it for golf as a whole? How bad? I don't know if it was bad. I think the the, the golf course was a hero. I mean, it, 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 you prove that the golf course can be big and hard, and, and but it doesn't have to be tricked up and impossible. The guy who hit the most best shots won, and he made some birdies, and he made some eagles, and he also made some bogeys. Um, I, I, there, are, there are definitely mixed opinions about uh, whether having April, May, June, July is better than having April, June, July, August. But what I like about the PGA being in this slot is that realistically they can play it anywhere in the country. They can play it in the mm-hmm. hot parts of the country because it's not going to be 140 degrees when they play it. They can play it in the Northeast. They can play it in California. I think it brings every part of the of the country in as a potential venue for the PGA Championship, and, and I think that's what's good for it all. It's a chance that a tournament could be played somewhere near you instead of just being played in some particular narrow Sun Belt area. Mm. Well, Ty, last thing, Matt. Will Tiger play between now and Pebble Beach? I have to expect that he will, right? I don't know. That's a good question. I think the, the Masters changed his strategy, and it gives him some more elbow room than he would otherwise have. And I think Tiger's always done whatever he wants. And um, I, I don't know about the, the rusty narrative, if that was why he didn't play well. The reality is that the first couple days when it was in the low 60s and kind of damp, that's always going to be a tough kind of a thing for a guy in his early 40s who's got a back surgery. Uh, I think he wants it to be as hot as possible and where he can get the sweat going. He can, he can physically do things closer to whatever his peak is now. Um, this is going to be an interesting one because Pebble's a place where obviously he's had a lot of success. Phil's had a lot of success there. There's a lot of fun storylines going into, into this. I, 
if I had to guess, I think Tiger's going to play one time between now and then. Hmm. What do you got going on between now and the U.S. Open, Matt? Yeah, I'm trying to keep my uh, my daughter's head on her shoulders. I, I, when I, I, my wife and three daughters came to the PGA, and Phil Mickelson gave my seven year old a ball, so she thinks that's the greatest oh, nice. thing in the world. So I'm just trying to trying to keep her uh, keep her on a <laughs> leash, and we're you know, still working out the discovery. Uh, bought us uh, on Monday, yep. so then we've got a new yep. corporate partner, and we got our orientation tomorrow. So I'm working on that next. <laughs> well, good stuff, Matt. Thank you for what you do for us. We will uh, talk to you before the United States Open Father's Day week. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it as always. You got it. See you guys. Yeah, good to talk to you, Matt Rudy, Golf Digest, part of the Discovery family now, as uh, as he mentioned. We're live at Principal Park. We'll come back. Randy Wayhofer from the iCubs is going to join us. Scott Dockerman at 11.35. We'll talk a lot about Doc's piece uh, on The Athletic. The Iowa Hawkeye radio writes as he went down memory lane and uh, brought back some memories of that time. We will have another hour to go live from the ballpark. 12 away's first pitch. Come on down. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXM.